What was it like to be a trauma surgeon in Desert Storm? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Donald Trunke, Professor of Surgery and the former Chair of Surgery at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Trunke is an internationally renowned trauma surgeon and considered the father of modern trauma systems. Welcome, Dr. Trunke. Thanks. Today we are discussing Dr. Trunke's personal experience as a surgeon in Desert Storm. Dr. Trunke, what exactly did you do in Desert Storm? I was chief of surgery for the 50th General Hospital, which was based in Fort Lawton, Washington State, and then I was also chief of professional services. This was a 1,000-bed hospital, and we had 705 women and men who were part of that hospital. And what was your specific role? As chief of surgery, I had charge of all the surgeons, neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons that were in the unit, and then I also, as chief of professional services, was responsible for all of the health personnel, not the administrative component. Now, you were in the operating room as well. Oh, absolutely. Firstly, you know, when the hospital got activated uh, just before Thanksgiving in 1990, first thing we did is go to Fort Lewis, just south of Seattle, where we learned about nuclear, biological, chemical, but then we also had to put together all of the components of a modern operating room and take all of that equipment and personnel with us. One of the first things that we had to do was to put together teams for resuscitation and operating. We were able to do that. The resources at Fort Lewis were absolutely wonderful, and they just went out of their way to make it possible. Uh, we had animal laboratories. We put nurses, corpsmen, surgeons, family practitioners through that. We taught ATLS, and then did all of the military things that you have to do. Well, how long did it take to prepare for such a role? The actual time was around four weeks. Uh, we also sent uh, some of our nurses up to uh, Harborview Hospital so that they spent time in a Level 1 trauma center. We sent some of our corpsmen and radiology technicians up there so that they could bring their skills up. Remember, these are people out of private hospitals, in community hospitals that really hadn't been doing trauma uh, prior to this. Well, Dr. Trunke, how could you train them in four weeks? We put them through surgical courses in the animal laboratories. We taught them the ATLS. You know, that's quite different than actually taking care of injured civilian and uh, soldiers. Well, I want to ask you, initially, were there problems? Were there mistakes? Sure. Fortunately, it didn't cost anybody's life, but yes, there were mistakes. And the other big hassle that we had is we were assigned to a Saudi hospital, and so we had to deal with our Saudi professional counterparts. That was really quite difficult. What do you, what do you mean, sir? The first problem that I had to deal with as chief of professional services, is they said, we're going to take call every other night. And I said, I said, you won't. We are going to be here 24 hours a day. I'm going to have two teams around the clock. And I said that American soldiers, rightly or wrongly, expect to see an American doctor and an American nurse when they're injured. 
And, well, the Saudi Brigadier General said, well, we'll see. Well, fortunately, at least the way it worked out was within three days, Scud started coming into Riyadh, and we got our first civilian casualties, and we had all of the patients in the operating room before the first Saudi surgeon even arrived. And from then on, they just said, you take care of it, and we did. And it, it worked out fine then. But we had another problem, too. That was the gender apartheid. We had 705 soldiers, of which 45% were women, and they said they cannot eat with you and they cannot go to your lectures or you're going to have to have separate lectures for them. And I said, no, that's not the way it's going to be. I said, we're going to huh. do things together as a team. And finally, they there were three restaurants in the hospital, so they gave us one of the restaurants, and that's where we ate when we were on duty. And we did give lectures, and we conducted joint uh, sessions with our Saudi counterparts, but of course, the Saudi females could not come to that. But other Muslim females, surgeons and nurses, could come to that because they weren't as strict as the Saudis. Did those relationships improve as they time did. went on? And at the end, the Saudis acted like they were extremely grateful that we had been there and that it worked out as well as it did. And were you caring for mostly soldiers or civilians or both? Both. Initially, it was mostly the civilians that were injured by the Scud missiles. And then as we got into the air war, then we started getting some injured Saudi soldiers because they did not have any surgeons at the front lines. And so, therefore, we were getting them in by helicopter. And we also continued to take care of civilians who were injured in motor vehicle accidents in Riyadh and the surrounding environment. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Donald Trunke, professor of surgery and the former chair of surgery at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Trunke is an internationally renowned trauma surgeon and considered the father of modern trauma systems. Today we are discussing Dr. Trunke's own personal experience as a surgeon in Desert Storm. Dr. Trunke, how has trauma surgery changed at all since you were there in Desert Storm? Great question. I think that what our soldiers get now is state-of-the-art acute care, at the forward hospitals and at the combat support hospitals. More importantly is they are transferred out of theater far more rapidly than they were during Desert Storm. Why? The Air Force now has what they call CCAT teams. These are teams of intensive care individuals, either trained in pulmonary medicine, trained in surgery, who make up a team, including nurses and respiratory therapists, that bring these people out in a plane of opportunity. In other words, whatever the Air Force has in theater, it's usually a C-17, but it could be a C-141. And these are set up so they are flying intensive care units. We did not have that in Desert Storm. In many instances in Desert Storm, we had to handbag patients all the way from Riyadh to Landstuhl in Germany, and that's about an eight-hour flight. That is no longer the way it is, and so this seamless critical care starts in theater, 
goes to Landstuhl, and then to the United States. I think it is a superb system. Now, they actually have an intensive care unit on the plane itself? That's correct. Tell us about that. Uh, this is all carried by the team, and it consists of ventilators, infusion, of pumps. They can do literally anything that you can do in a modern intensive care unit. Now, they can't get x-rays if they would possibly need it, but these people are so highly trained. There's just been very, very few deaths during these flights that may be 8 to 12 hours long. And the personnel that are on these planes, it's a surgeon. How many surgeons? How many anesthesiologists? I don't know what the number breaks down to, but it's made up of pulmonary medicine, surgeons, and there's a couple of anesthesiologists trained in critical care as well. The nurses are critical to this, too. They give excellent care, monitoring, just like you would in any intensive care unit in the United States. Let's talk about the nurses for a second. Do they have the same type of burnout that you see nurses in the United States who work in high-stress areas in the emergency room? No, they do not. I think you have to see these kids that are injured. They're young, healthy kids, and they are so motivated. They can have two legs blown off. Their attitude is so positive, and it's such a pleasure. I mean, you, you just get this incredible pleasure of taking care of these kids. I don't see burnout. I really don't. You just don't feel that way. You just wait for the next person so that you could take care of them. When you see a casualty, a young person in their prime of life having both legs blown off, how do you feel inside? What, what do you tell that patient? What do you tell that kid? Well, it hurts, but you have to be very honest and you have to talk to them about prosthetics that are available to them. You know, I never sensed that these kids were, I mean, sure, they know they're bad hurt, but their attitude is so good. Why is that? Because they're so highly trained. They come from good families. It hurts to see them so badly injured, but it's hard to see unless you experience. You just feel good. How did you personally change from your experience in Desert Storm? In Desert Storm, I had been somewhat critical about, you know, how military was training things. And one of the reasons I rejoined the reserve in 1985 was because we were so short of surgeons. After Desert Storm, I wrote up an after-action report, gave it to the military, and, of course, nothing happened. So in 1993, I took that report, modified it, and published it in the Archives of Surgery. As a consequence, things did change after that, and at least friends of mine in the military said it had a lot to do with that article because I pointed out some of the shortcomings. For instance, now, surgeons in the military can go to trauma centers in Miami, Florida, to L.A. County Hospital in, in Los Angeles, and they can spend three months, six months there, keeping up their skills and taking care of penetrating injuries. That's made a difference. And we have military surgeons now that I think are really top-flight trauma surgeons, and they're making a difference now. Personally, what did you learn from your experience there? How did you come away different? Again, I was, I was just kind of a little bit upset with how the Air Force had performed in regards to getting the injured out of theater. More importantly, I think what I learned was that we have to train our National Guard, our reserve troops better than we're currently doing. And I personally think that a reserve 
medical unit has to be assigned to a university hospital, and I think they should do their weekend duty that they have to do once a month. I think they should do it in that community hospital, work as a team so that when they go to war, they'll have worked as a team and they'll have that camaraderie that's so important in a war effort. We're not doing that. We have to change how we train our reserve surgeons and physicians and nurses. I want to thank Dr. Donald Trunkey, who has been our guest. We have been discussing Dr. Trunkey's experience as a surgeon in Desert Storm. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.